Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring all of you the very best guests in true crime, and sometimes they're the OG guests. These are the original gangsters, as they say, uh, in the Dan Markell murder story. Uh, these are the ones, these people have been following this uh, well before uh, STS has, and I see already Cheryl Brady letting people know what OG means. Not everyone knows. Original gangster there, Cheryl Brady. Uh, Skeeter Girl says, great, cool panel. Um, happy to have everybody here. Of course, we all know after nine plus years, uh, Donna Adelson finally appeared in the Tallahassee courtroom to hear the charges levied against her, including uh, murder and a conspiracy to kill her ex-son-in-law, FSU professor Dan Markell. Meanwhile, Charlie Adelson was just sentenced to life in prison without parole. And uh, you know these faces because you watch them on YouTube. You've got mentor lawyer next to me in the middle. Uh, Judy Tsang, bottom left corner of Asian American Legal Focus. Katie Cool Lady, top right. You just got off a, a plane ride, otherwise known as Katie Monkman Hyam. And then you've got Susan Harmon of True Lifestyles. So uh, great crew here. And uh, Deborah Joe Jackson saying, love this. Um, there's been, uh, you know, this is not a secret, some uh, tension in, uh, in the world of uh, content creators surrounding this um, among certain people, I guess. And it's the holidays. And I just wanted to bring everyone together. And uh, both Ruth and Phil Markell and uh, Shelly know that we are doing this. And they're very happy to see uh, that we are all working together and uh, the goal here of course is justice for dan markell and that is why the thumbnail has hashtag justice for dan markell now i was running around for full disclosure today was an insane day for me so right as we're going on of course katie cool lady who's in the know says to me joel do you know there's breaking news katie what do we know and i know that mentor knows some of this but uh please fill us in katie cool lady I'm just going to defer to, oh, he's there, <laughs> to James on this. But I mean, I just, I literally got off the plane and saw a snippet that there, some of Donna's jail calls were released and heard there's some ABC article, like a two minute video that plays just a few little snippets. I saw him on the shaming of Jay. Um, and, um, but James is the person really to uh, report on that. And shout out to shaming uh Shaming of Jay. He's a friend of the show and has his own great YouTube channel. A uh, mentor. Uh, you are the mentor to all of us when it comes to this story. Uh, you've been at it. You're in Tallahassee. Um, what are we learning? Uh, what are we hearing about Donna? Uh, first of all, James Vachevsky, also known as Mentor Lawyer. Hello, Joel. Hi, Katie. Hello, Susan. And hello, Judy. Nice to see all of you. I'm um, glad that you invited me to your show. I know that uh, I've been invited many times, and unfortunately, the schedule has been tough for me. But because I'm also a creator, but uh, yeah. but I always uh, enjoy to appear on your show, uh, Joel. And uh, please say hello to Carm for me. I miss I having I her on the show. I like she's to watching. Her. She'll probably she'll probably Facetime during this show because she doesn't <laughs> right. ever stand. Please tell her. Please tell her I say hi. Will uh, do. So the news is simply that today we got additional materials from um, the state attorney's office 
and that included the jail calls. I know that I'm not the only uh, creator that has received them. So we are planning to release the first set today. So sometime later this evening, maybe 6 or 7 p.m. And that's going to be the jail calls between Charles and some of his people, the people in his camp. And, uh, and that's going to be on the day that he found out that he was found guilty by the jury. So that would be November the 6th, I believe, the 6th. So he goes yep. from the Leon County uh, Courthouse to the Leon County Jail, gets his tablet and starts making phone calls. He's very dejected. I'm not going to give you what the phone call says, but it's, mm. you know, obviously you're going to hear from a guy who just found out. And, and mentor, just to be clear, it's going to be on Deep Dive True Crime or where are people going to yeah. be able to see it? Yes, okay. it will be on Deep Dive True Crime. And there may be other channels that are already releasing portions of it. What we're going to do is we're going to do it, uh, we're going to separate it by day. So today we're going to release the first day. And we have, in essence, from November the 6th, I think all the way to December the 1st. So we're going to have many videos about this issue. Many um, by the way, someone is asking here, uh, fancy question mark, uh, fancy declined our offer, uh, doesn't want to be a part of it and got to respect that. So, um, James, I like calling you mentor better than James. I think mentor is cool, but I mean, do we know the gist of this also? Are we hearing from Donna? Yes. So okay. the jail calls include, I believe calls between Charles and Bree and Charles and Donna. So the mother of his son, and then um, he's talking to Nona and Harvey. From the phone calls that I've heard so far, I've heard um, Bree and I've heard Donna and Harvey. Um, okay, I I'm, I'm going to check this out on Deep Dive True Crime later uh, and see, you know, that's not... Everyone also has their kind of their own niche. Judy has a lot of fun on her channel. Um James breaks things down because he's an attorney. You know, we bring on experts. Katie's got her backstory, um, and which I'll let her share with you if you, I think most of you know it. And then Susan brings her own special, you know, expertise. So uh, please check out Deep Dive True Crime and everyone else's channels. We're, we're all bringing something a little bit different. From Rula here, if people have questions, today is much more laid back, low key. We'll go through some of the um, big moments over the last couple of days, and there have been, been big moments. And by the way, um, I got off the phone with Phil Markell not a long time ago, uh, actually this afternoon, and he wanted me to thank not only all of you, the YouTube uh, creators, Mentor, Katie, uh, Susan, and Judy, um, but he really wanted me to thank the communities out there, STS Nation and all the communities uh collectively for all the support. He actually mentioned it in his victim impact statement. And it is uh, pretty um, humbling to hear that from Phil. Phil is a stand-up guy. Um, you know, there's supposed to be a meeting next week uh, with the kids and I'm um, hoping that it happens, albeit it, it'll probably be really awkward um, for, you know, the Markels, but it, it needs to happen. Um, and and we'll, we'll discuss that in a moment. There is a question here from Rula. To all the OGs, do you get a typical something from your viewers? I don't know. There's a word missing there. But Judy, um, to you, just you've got a very dedicated community. Um, what's kind of, I don't know, the, the main thing that they're interested in or the main thing that you're trying to convey to them? Um, I think that's what Rula is getting to here. 
Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, it's great to have gathered a group of people online who really care about Dan Markell, getting him justice and his family. So I find that my biggest supporters tend to be slightly older women. I think I can see the demographics of people and everybody's just, you know, usually very nice, caring. Um, I try to kick out the haters over time, pick them out. So I don't know how else to characterize it. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good characterization. Uh, Susan, um, what got you, and I'm curious, kind of, we'll go around the horn here. Uh, I am looking at the studio. The COE works fast. She just, put, she just put this up. I don't even know what this is. Oh, look how fast she uh. works. Okay, that's the audio. Um, we're going to put some of that up um, in a minute. This is ABC News, and it, she's putting here, check out trial mentor lawyer uh, for more. No, that is deep dive true crime trial mentor is Carl hard to keep him straight, but um, we'll play that in a minute. I can't wait um, to hear it. <laughs> yeah. But Susan, to you, what, what got you interested in this um, in the first place? Um, I have to say just um, being in North Florida and always wanting to observe the, the Jewish faith the best that I can. And just seeing that Dan Markell was such an outstanding human and, just wiped off this earth and watching all the podcasts. And then I started watching Mentor Lawyer and I just thought about what I could do to get more information. And I think that's where I started looking at the call logs and the timelines and showing up to court and just wanting more answers, just like everyone in this awesome community. And we're just so thankful everyone still is caring and and finding answers. So it's great. Uh, Katie, cool lady, same question to you. I mean, what piqued your interest in this case? It's, you know, I was, I actually did Nancy Grace's show and uh, off air before we went on. And then she reprimanded me before that she, um, which is a badge of honor. She was saying that in her entire career, this is probably one of the most unusual you know, fascinating, remarkable cases that she has ever covered, which is saying a lot. She's covered a lot. But what got you, uh, Katie, um, so interested in this and so invested? Well, first of all, I want to say that I feel a little um, daunted to be on this panel with the rest of you guys, because I, if I'm an OG of anything, I'm, a, I'm an OG of to be a subscriber and to be a member of the community. Um, I'm so new to YouTube. I still don't really know what I'm doing yet. I've done maybe three or four lives the entire time. But, um, you know, I'm very humbled to be around the rest of you guys. And I feel more like a viewer than a presenter, really. Um, so anyway, I wanted to say that. And, and it's really Mentor Lawyer that got me, you know, following it on YouTube was, you know, like he's the first person that drew me in with posting, I believe, Wendy's interrogation. And, um, you know, when I started being interested in this case, I think from the Dateline, then the podcast, the Over My Dead Body podcast, then I just started right. Googling, landed on Mentor Lawyer. And I really feel like he, Judy, you know, really need that respect of, you know, covering this for so long with such dedication and such commitment and so much time and effort. And they have very busy legal practices. You know, there's other people too, but, you know, 
respect needs to be given there. Um, anyway, so I, I just got interested, like everybody else in the chat, of you know this just the injustice of this case and and that they had gotten away with it for so long, and then when it you know was uh, reported that Charlie was going to go on trial, I turned to my husband and said, "I just feel like I need to go." And then after that. I started really getting concerned about jury tampering. I just did. I had such a big feeling about jury tampering with this. I've attended Jody Arias, Scott Peterson trial, trials for my sister's homicide. If people don't know that about me, two death penalty trials over my sister's death in 1988. I've been through that for many, many years. Um, I have never felt like I felt about this trial about jury tampering. And I thought somebody needs to be in that courtroom watching this jury. So I just went down there with that intention. And that's why I sat on the defense side so I could have an eyeball. And I said, I need to put this material somewhere. So I just decided, well, I'll just speak into YouTube. So I would go on the lunch break and sit in, outside in a, a little stairwell and just say, this is what I saw from the jury. And so anyway, it just developed from there. So that was my and, jumping and into it. Yeah, but I keep getting yelled at. People are like, why are you on the phone? But I'm always uh, I'm reaching out uh, to Steve Cohen. He, he had a question for me and um, mentor lawyer to you. You're obviously an attorney and you're also very successful at your YouTube channel uh, and you're in Tallahassee. But what what drew you to this? And I'll tell you what drew, you know, what drew me to this and and Carm uh, specifically. But go ahead, mentor. Well, I didn't start the this channel about the Markel case. Mm -hmm. I really uh, watched uh, for the first time a trial on YouTube. It was the trial of State of Florida versus Adam Fresh. It was about the murder of Samara Fresh. I had been directly involved in that case because I was representing the Homeowners Association in a civil lawsuit in a wrongful death case that was filed by the state of Samara Fresh. And so I really because I was representing the uh, defendant in a wrongful death case, I really had to go back to my time as a prosecutor and do a super deep dive into that case as a defense attorney representing a civil defendant and find out what happened. And was this really Adam Frasch who killed Samra? Uh, that was part of the investigation. And in that process, I went through Inter his interrogation, dozens and dozens of interviews, and then eventually this culminated with actually talking to Georgia Kappelman and giving her some assistance because of all the vast um, amount of work that I put into that case on the civil side. I learned a lot, shared some information with Georgia as well. Um, and then I watched Georgia in action, and uh, I love trial work, and uh, I enjoy uh, listening to audiobooks like Michael Connolly's uh, Lincoln Lawyer series, for example. And I was like, well, I'm really enjoying uh, this particular work and doing this deep dive into the case and analyzing, because when you're reporting to the insurance company, part of that is actually evaluating the merits of the case of the state of Florida against Adam Fresh and evaluating the testimonies of the people that were interrogated. So I really enjoy that work. And I left that law firm. I was a partner in a bigger law firm, and I went to work for myself. And then I started to do some criminal defense work just because I wanted to do more trial work. And again, I was in the criminal justice system. I was observing the prosecutors, and I'm more like a prosecutor 
versus the defense attorney because I feel more for the victims. And so I decided that I enjoyed the fact that there is YouTube where you can go and watch trials. And then I saw a couple of interrogations and I said, well, why don't I do that? And I started to cover cases and the murder of Mike Williams probably was the first case where I started just to talk about it. And at that time I had basically no viewers at all. It was maybe 50, 60 subscribers. And I just yeah. started talking about it and there, and I got some response. And for the most part, I myself was enjoying the process because by the way, James has well over a hundred thousand now, so uh, he's being humble. Uh, so, so I enjoy the process because, first of all, I was enjoying the work. The deep dive into the criminal cases uh, was—I think—I started improving myself as a lawyer, practicing my analytical skills, practicing my speaking skills, developing, uh, you know, uh, content it responsibly. Not only involves a deep dive into the material, but also doing legal research and understanding what you're talking about. And some of the things were things that I had to research and find out before I discussed it on YouTube. So I really enjoyed the work and slowly, slowly people started to watch and support and encourage and say, keep doing this. This is wonderful. And so it just built up from there. It was, this is not a channel that grew exponentially. It was a channel that grew slowly with a very devoted following of people who seem to be interested in justice and seem to be interested in an objective lawyer that gives an objective analysis, but is not afraid to give an opinion. Because I think that a lot of people were interested in my following of this particular case on the, the case of the murder of Dan Markell, which of course I was interested in because this happened in Tallahassee. I went to the same law school where he was a professor. I heard about the murder the day it happened. It was a scary situation. So obviously I had already some interest in the case, but I, I really didn't start looking really deep into it until the 2019 trial. So the original gangsters really would be Matt Chair and his team that did the Over My Dead Body uh, yeah. podcast, which was wonderful. Yeah. I listened to it. It also gave me uh, a deep insight into the whole case. And yeah. of course, uh, Jordan Kaplan and all the investigators deserve a, a all the credits, really, because they're really pursuing justice for Dan Markell. But I got interested in the case. I'm sorry that I'm talking so much. but No, it's I, good. It's interesting. I, I didn't know any of this. This is good. And I was able to, I think that I was able to use my in-depth knowledge of the law, my extensive experience as a, an analytical lawyer, because I've always been the complex case attorney in every law firm that I was in. So for me, uh, doing a deep dive into a very, very complex case like this one is kind of like my cup of tea. I look at all the evidence and I try to objectively analyze it. And so when I started to talk about my thoughts about Wendy Adelson, my thoughts about Charles Adelson before they were charged, I think that a lot of people then started to say, hey, you know, let's follow this channel. This is, a, you know, nobody's talking about this case. Nobody's talking about the murder of Dan Markell and the fact that the rich people haven't been charged. So I think I got a, a lot of people interested in the in the channel because of the Markel case, I think that it attracted a lot of people. But I'm not just about the Dan Markel case. I do cover cases that the media is not interested in, that most people are not interested in, and I lose money on those. But I don't mind because I'm actually enjoying what I'm doing. And that's most important. Um, 
For those who don't know my story, I was a broadcast news correspondent for many years, for 27 years, and uh, left the business because I had three little kids, and um, it, it was just too hard a profession because you have to be on the road almost all the time covering breaking news. I was on a breaking news team when I was at, at Fox News, and um, so I started my own company, and the company was doing okay, just a uh, basic media company. We're doing media strategy and uh, corporate video, things of that nature. And the pandemic hit and everything just it was like hitting a brick wall. Everyone went through that experience. And my mother, as most people know, um, is quite a character. And I've just finished a book about her. She's a Holocaust survivor and she's always got an opinion. So I said to her, hey, let's do a podcast. And uh, someone said to us when we first started and when you first start, you have no clue what you're doing said, you better have a niche. And I was like, well, my mom's pretty funny and she's got opinions and she's a Holocaust survivor. So we started uh, doing all kinds of crazy shows. We had Carol Baskin from Tiger King on, and we had this guy, Dr. Avi Loeb, who's a famous uh, ufologist. For, he's an astrophysicist from Harvard University. And, um, you know, it was fun, but there wasn't like a real purpose. And then Steve Cohen, who I'm partnered with behind the scenes, heard about Dan Markell and we did a show, just a single show. And we saw that there was a lot of interest. And I was way before this, I've been a news junkie my whole life and always was into true crime. Always. I've seen every Dateline episode probably three times, 2020s, all these shows. And I just became fascinated in it from a journalistic standpoint. My mother, who's a therapist from a psychological standpoint, my dad was a psychiatrist. I'm also very interested in, uh, you know, a psychological perspective. And basically, we got we got hooked, and that's when we pivoted to true crime. And I think it's interesting because, again, I said it earlier, but you know, Katie has her backstory about her sister, uh, Susan. I don't know your whole backstory, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and mentors, obviously, coming at it from a legal angle as an attorney. Judy's also an attorney. Um, Judy, what got you into into justice for Dan Markell? Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I have my own very long story too. <laughs> but um, at the beginning, when I first heard about the murder, I think it was from my ex husband because he's also a law professor. So we're talking about it. He said, "Thank you for not killing me," <laughs> because you know we we get along, we have joint custody. But I felt a lot of kinship with Wendy actually because I was also someone who had to move because of my spouse's job because he was a big important law professor. So we moved to North Carolina, got divorced the same year as Dan and Wendy. So that's what sort of piqued my interest in the case. And I later found out that I do have some connections to Dan through a mutual friend and sort of know other people who knew him. Hmm. Um, here's a legal question from a friend of the show, Harold. I call him Harold anything but dull. Um, is it ethical, mentor, to indict just to make them drain their financial resources, even if you're not sure you can convict them? Uh, one YouTube lawyer not on this panel suggested this yesterday. I don't know who that is, and I don't know that that is what the state is trying to do. But what about this question, uh, mentor? 
right. I'll answer briefly. I think, of course, it is not ethical to do that. I also think that um, I've seen a lot of suggestions of, for example, going after Wendy for perjury. There are different things that I see going on and being discussed in the media about this case that are a concern to me because we always have to be watchful of the government. And obviously, all of us want justice for Dan Markel. All of us want a fair result in this case where every single person who was involved in the murder is charged and convicted. But you have to be careful not to encourage the government to misbehave. And for example, I was doing some legal research about the whole issue of perjury, and there are excellent legal articles, the type of articles that Dan Markel would have written himself, discussing how sometimes prosecutions, prosecutors misuse perjury to go after people when they don't have enough evidence against those people for the crime that they suspect that they're involved in. And then they're going to use perjury to go after them. So we got to be very careful about asking for our government to not be ethical. To me, ethics is, is very important. And I think that I've been a critic of the fact that the state attorney's office has taken so long to charge Charlie and Donna primarily because obviously there has been a lot of evidence against them. But I also do understand that there are arguments on the other side of the picture. You know, there are arguments that the case against Donna is obviously weaker than the case against Charlie. And so the quick answer is we have to be watchful of ethics. And obviously it would not be ethical to indict people just to make them waste their money. In fact, if you indict somebody and then you lose, you, you're going to face the government possibly having to pay the defense attorney's fees for that defendant if that was the purpose of indicting them. Um, since we have a real before I get to the we're, we're going to play one audio snippet that the COE pulled. But Susan, a true lifestyles. Uh, let's let's hear what got you. Oh, my gosh. And you, by the way, you emailed me by, quick. Not not to pressure you, uh, yeah. Ms. Harmon, but you said you had some info, too. So oh, I'll let you share like that phone calls. Um, yeah. And <laughs> no. by the way, for those who missed, because someone's asking, a lot of people ask, yeah. where's Carl? Carl, not Carl and I have talked. Uh, we're very amicable. He has an invite on this show uh, whenever he wants. He's just, um, you know, taking a little breather right now and he'll be back, I'm sure, at some point. So go ahead, Susan. What got you oh, uh, invested like in all this? I'll give you guys like a two sentence answer because I cannot wait to hear these phone calls too. But, you know, after a divorce in my 30s, and in fact, my ex-husband's middle name was Markel. And I just realized that as I was falling asleep last night. And I always used to tease him about that middle. I said, where is that? Is that even one of your family's members maiden names? And he just said, no, my grandma just liked that name. So <laughs> that was his was, middle. Hold on. That was his middle name. That was his middle name was Markel. But that has nothing like just a strange random fact I was thinking about yesterday. But this this kind of helped me get through like a kind of a like an amicable divorce and I'm you know I'm similar age to Wendy and just understand I grew up in the DC like kind of like Jewish scene up there and I kind of can relate and it's just so jaw-dropping but like that's my my like one sentence and I had a, like a fitness magazine I like to write I like to blog um 
but just, and my mom is in Israel and we work on this together. She tells me breaking news. She watches all of your channels and she tells me what's going on if I can't watch it. So she's a super fan too. And, where, where, uh, where did you say your mom is? I missed that. Broke my mom of... lives in Israel. And uh, oh, wow. how's she I holding was... up with the war? Oh, she's okay. And, you know, honestly, this case, like I was telling Phil and Ruth and Shelly, like this, this has, and they have family over there too, but um, this has been so good to get her mind off of it and my mind off of this terrible war in the Middle East. And uh, just brought me and my mom closer. Actually, I was supposed to be on a flight home from Israel actually two days ago. I had to cancel my flight. So this has been good to kind of get me out of a funk and meet the Markels and, and you guys. So this has been great for me and my mom. Well, and uh, I don't know if anyone knows this, but I actually lived in Israel for a few years when I was a kid. And my mother, and I have two nephews through marriage, that are fighting right now all around. It's a horrible tragedy. It's horrible what's yeah. happening to the Palestinians. Yeah. Israel has to defend their country. And um, I'm hoping for peace very soon there. Uh, and by the way, these are not uh, the only content creators. My good friend, Gigi McKelvey, Pretty Lies and Alibis. She is just getting into this case now, never too late. But I talk to Gigi all the time. She's a rock star. She's into music. She's awesome. And uh, you can check out Pretty Lies and Alibis too. Without further ado, I have no idea what this is. So we're going to listen together right now and uh, see what happens here. I'm going to take it back. Hold on a sec. Move it. Here we go. Let's watch this. It's from, I, think, I guess, ABC News. Here we go. We've been looking it up over and over. Things change if there is extradition from Vietnam. Because we, we've looked at all the places. I mean, I could go to Korea and China, but. Uh, that's all we're going to play today. Mentor, you're the attorney. Um, sounds like uh, that's a getaway plan. And uh, I am still mentor. I'm shaking my head. This is a family with a lot of means. They bought a one-way ticket, Don and Harvey. Uh, if there's ever been consciousness of guilt in a court of law, if this goes to trial, that's it. But what do you make of that little snippet? I'll play it one more time after Mentor gives us his take. Yeah, I, every time that I analyze evidence, I like to analyze all of it, the entire phone call. I don't like to analyze just a little snippet. So to me, I can't really say anything about it before I hear the entire conversation and maybe everything that led up to it. So. Uh, you know, that little snippet itself doesn't sound very good for the defense of Donna Adelson. It sounds like she's looking for a place where she can get away from the clause of justice. And obviously, there's a good argument for the prosecution. Whether there's anything in the conversation that could be an argument for the defense, I know what it's going to be. It's going to be that they, felt, they feel that the American justice system is not working, that they're being convicted by the media. That the, that the media is unfair, that the rules don't apply to the media, and that they need to get away because they're never going to get a fair day in court. That's going to be their side of the argument. A hundred percent. And uh, I know right now that they're looking to try to get someone from Tallahassee. Mentor, do you think that that was a factor that Rashbaum was a Miami guy? They brought in Josh Dubin as the uh, jury consultant, you know, kind of a brash New Yorker. Do you think that was an issue? Some people say yes. Some people say no. I would like to hear that from the jurors. And I tried to reach out to a few. And so far, nobody has taken me up on the offer to do an interview. 
I personally do not believe that just being from Miami or having an accent or being from New York, all that stuff really matters. I think it is more about the performance of the lawyers, how they relate to the jury, uh, you know, what the facts are. So I don't think that is a big factor. As far as the result of the case, I don't think so. Katie, cool lady. Are you surprised? Uh, it's been uh, since December 6th. I don't have any idea what today's date is, but it's significantly later than that. Um, are you surprised that no jurors have come out and spoken? And I've heard some people say, well, if I was a jury on this case where a guy just got convicted of hiring a, you know, a hitman to kill somebody, I wouldn't want to talk too much either. But do you have any, uh, any thoughts as to why we haven't heard from any jurors yet, Katie? Well, first of all, it was November 6th, and I know that because it was my birthday. Oh, <laughs> the verdict came in on my birthday. <laughs> I am um, losing uh, my mind today, but go ahead. <laughs> um, I, I am kind of surprised. Oh, I think maybe a factor is, is that there's other cases coming down the pike and that, that they, you know, I mean, that happened pretty quickly with Donna and that they might just be afraid of tampering anything. And because that one alternate juror did that, little stunt and you know that made it may have spooked them i suspect they probably in in mass decided not to speak um you know if if mentor lawyers been reaching out to them they haven't reached back then you know they clearly have made some sort of probably group decision i'm kind of surprised because you know i did a very similar thing in the jody Arias trial i sat in that trial every single day i don't know if anybody was following me with this trial what i was doing with the jurors but i created nicknames for all the jurors and so then i would so at least i could identify them without any kind of, you know, obvious real identification about them, but like just so people knew who I was talking about. And I did the same thing in Jody Arias and many of them reached out to me because they were later found my commentary on them and they were amused by that and their nicknames that I came up with them. And, and several of the Jody Arias jurors are my Facebook friends to this day. So, you know, I am kind of surprised in that way because a lot of times they do want to sort of process it or talk it, talk about their experience or get it out of their head or, or whatever. So I don't know, I think, but with Jody Arias, there wasn't other potential tri trials pending or arrest pending. So that may be a factor here. Mm. Uh, this can, can I tell you a little bit, can I tell you, I'm sorry that uh, just, I want to just give you a little bit of insight because I actually have reached out to some of them. So yeah. I have no idea whether they made a, a group uh, decision or not, but I can tell you what are some of the general fears that jurors have. Okay, so first of all, they, they, they're going to be scared. Of, they don't want their identity out. And that's something that, for example, I have interviewed two jurors, one from each trial. And I absolutely respect their privacy and their identity is not disclosed unless they want to. So there may be a juror that wants to be in front of the cameras. That's very unlikely. For the most part, they've done a service for the community. This was a very tough case. And they don't want to get publicity out of it. So they don't want to, people to perceive that they were on this jury because they wanted to get publicity. So when I approach them, my approach is, look, I'm going to protect your privacy. We're not going to disclose your name. We're not going to discuss the other jurors' names. But it, was, it would be very informative to understand just how the process worked and so on and so forth. And so the, the, the fear that they have my understanding at least is exactly that right they don't want to they don't want to mess up the case they don't want to say something wrong they don't want to disclose their identity they don't want to create trouble so it's just some reservation and, and what i try to do as as a lawyer 
because I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a lawyer for 25 years, is I, you know, if they actually show any interest, I don't harass them. I ask them one time. If they say no, I leave them alone. And then if they show some interest, then I let them know what the rules are that, you know, I'm not going to disclose their identity, that, that I'll, I'm going to go through the questions with them. And that if there's something that they feel that they misspoke about, I'm not going to publish that. So I would never do something live, for example. I would be very protective of them if, I, if they ever come forward. So if you are a juror, if you still want to, uh, you know, give me a shot, uh, reach out. <laughs> Yeah, and it's. I want to follow ups too with that, and that um, if you get a chance, James. Yes. I am fascinated with how they selected their four person because it was probably like one of the last people I was guessing would have been their four person. Sure. When that man stood up, I probably gasped because it was you know I'm sitting there in my mind because I'm mm -hmm. watching them so intensely all day every day and thinking oh it's going to be this one it's going to be that one you know I had my little picks you know just based on their behavior. That guy was like not even on my radar. So I'm fascinated by how he became the four person. So if you can find that out, that'd be fantastic. <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll see if uh, James can pull that one off. Um, this is an interesting uh, question here. Uh, and he wants me to go around the horn. So we'll start with Judy. Can we poll the OGs to see if they think there's enough to prosecute <laughs> Wendy? This is always a $64,000 okay. question. Uh, this has had some uh, tempers and emotions flaring this question, but what say you, Judy? Well, we just don't know what Kappelman has. And I still suspect there's plenty more evidence that we don't know because it hasn't been made public or perhaps it was not relevant during the other people's trials. So then I'm thinking of how Jeremy Mutz said that back when he was in that prosecutor's office, they wouldn't try cases unless they felt they had like a 80 to 90% chance of conviction. So based on what I see, what I know that's public, I don't think we have an 80 to 90% chance of conviction. So it's still a big question, Mark. Um, Susan? Your thoughts, does Wendy eventually, I know you're not an attorney, at least not that I'm not aware of. Not an attorney, of, but... just to, pre to yeah. pre preface that. Um, I, I, think there's a, I think there's probably some smoking guns in the prosecutor's back pockets. And there's definitely one that I feel like for me was a huge, huge piece of evidence. And I, I think I had asked Judy about it, something in Wendy's book that, is on page 96 where she talks in the third person about murdering a husband and i feel confident talking about it because i think this is kind of buried in this video i don't know if i mean it's it's out there but i mean i think that's a huge piece of evidence and and in court when georgia asked wendy to turn in uh her divorce deposition to page 186 I thought she was going to say, like she was just finishing talking about Wendy's book. And I thought she was going to say on page 96. <laughs> and I, I mean, that to me is a huge smoking gun. I mean, there's been other cases with um, blog information about murder that's tied people to murders. It, there's just a lot of things that are stacking up. And the way that she uh, kind of attacked Wendy on the stand, I think that that's a huge piece of evidence in George's back pocket. And that's the biggest piece that I know to date. Can I uh, interject? 
Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead, Judy. Go okay. ahead, Judy. So, you know, we discussed this book we in did. live streams <laughs> on my show. I read the book too. Mm-hmm. Um, but she'll just say that that's all fiction. That's a book. And the character that talked about being excited, thinking she's going to be a character in Chicago yeah. who murders her husband, that wasn't even the so-called windy character. Yeah. So I don't think that's really great evidence. It, yes, but, okay, so it was Mila. Suspicious, it, though. It And in the back of the book, and Wendy did lie on the stand by saying that the book was about a friend. She did say in the the end of the book about the author that this book was based on her and she selfishly wanted to talk to us about her life. So that part could, I mean... I think it could be brought up that it was a lie on the stand that she based it on her friend. And even though it was in the third person, I mean, a book is your subconscious. So it's up to the jury. That's, that kind of stuff is definitely up to the court of public opinion. Uh, this question is phrased a little bit differently. By the way, mentor, someone's asking, how come you're not on the tennis court? I know it's raining down here. I don't know about Tallahassee, but... Um, I play. I played, and I got I got here, and I washed my face really good. But I, I played this afternoon already. You're, you're looking good. You're looking a little tan. Um, wouldn't Wendy know, uh, Katie Cool Lady, if there is or isn't enough evidence to convict her? If there isn't, why is she supposedly so terrified and looking over her shoulder? I'm in not far from where she lives, and I have gotten some reports down here that she is uh, concerned, obviously, and you know she's kind of looking over that proverbial shoulder, uh, but. What about Wendy in general, uh, Katie Cool Lady? Do you think eventually we see an indictment here? Well, first of all, you know, we know that Wendy doesn't watch anything. She doesn't read anything. She doesn't discuss it with anybody because her lawyer told her not to remember. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, we all know that's a bunch of BS. So anyway, I just had to go there for a second. So (laughs) yes, she's on top of anything. She could be in this chat right now. You know, she's watching, reading paying attention to everything she probably subscribed. I get enough I get enough hate mail that I don't doubt it, it could be her under yeah. go ahead yeah so um you know I'm gonna be the voice of the people because I don't have any ethical standards <laughs> I'm not an attorney or anything which is I think they're gonna go after Wendy I think they're gonna convict her I think just what Judy and Susan said there's stuff that we don't know there's stuff that would not be pertinent in other trials that we don't know what they have that we don't know about and I think the last week might have produced more, you know, with Donna's loose lips and going crazy. Um, there might be more that's leaked out, including with the devices, not just her speaking, but whatever, whatever's been coming through. We know she loves to email and, um, you know, she probably was going nuts with Wendy in that way. So, but the other thing is that, and, and Judy and, and mentor, you know, can speak more on this, but like, my understanding is that it's not just knowledge of the murder, it has to be action and involved to, um, you know, to uh, arrest, indict Wendy. And to me, having driven that crime scene and know that she is just absolutely lying about why she did that, that's an action and she's lying about what she did. I mean, that's easily proven because the story that she's telling of going to Trescott, not turning down Trescott because the crime scene tape was there, and she has said that multiple times, um, is just a lie because it's not where the crime, and that's easily proven. So that's an action. And I think that that's major. 
You know, I, I think that's a major piece of evidence against Wendy is that whole scenario. To, not to give anybody PTSD about Katie, but anyway, <laughs> of the the drive to the crime scene. So yeah, I think they're going to go after Wendy. I think they're going to get her. And I think she's going to go to prison for something. It might not be for the murder, but it could be for conspiracy. That's Once my again. Opinion. Going to prison scares the crap out of me. Yala, where's Tim Jansen lawyering? Tim, I just got off the phone with him right before the show started. He's doing well. He actually is lawyering. He's uh, got a busy practice, so uh, he's hoping to get back on as soon as next week. Um, but he sends regards uh, to everybody. Uh, mentor, got to ask you, uh, do you think, because I know people ask you this too, will Wendy eventually be one of the dominoes that falls? I think that there are a lot of things against charging Wendy, and there are a lot of things indicating that she was involved or that she knew. And so the case against her is more difficult. You have the post-bump evidence that all excludes pretty much Wendy. You, um, you um, don't have any evidence of her paying for the murder or being involved in the payment. You have Katie who turned state evidence and didn't really give any evidence. I think a lot of people were hoping that she would have evidence against Wendy and didn't really seem to help the case against Wendy at all. Didn't She didn't disclose anything. And we know that we saw her on the beach with Wendy, right? Catherine McBanua on the beach with Wendy in between the first attempt and the second attempt. Obviously, Jeffrey Lacasse gives a testimony that if believed, and I believe Jeffrey Lacasse, definitely in the case that she knew. And in the case of Wendy, it's very puzzling because the spectrum of her involvement could have been all the way from being the only one in the Adelson family who set this all up and set up the rest of her family, in a sense, to take the fall. Or it could be that she was part of it, or it could be that she just knew about it, or it could be that she knew about it and gave a small amount of assistance. For example, what Katie just said was about going to the crime scene, right? And if you think about it objectively, of course, there's two sides to the story. Could be that she's telling the truth, that she was only familiar with that particular ABC liquor store. And so she felt comfortable going to that store. And from her house to that store, Trescott could be deemed a shortcut. Fine. That's one side of the story. The other side is she knew that her ex-husband was going to be murdered that day. And in a sense, she wanted to distract the cops, distract the cops from the real killers. She wanted to be, in a sense, uh, suspect right away, where the police thought that potentially she was the actual shooter. And now they were going to spend a lot of time and focus on investigating her while the real killers are getting away. And for them, if there is a conspiracy to murder Dan Markel through Hitman, which is what was here, that could be deemed as an action in furtherance of the conspiracy because you're distracting the cops while the killers get away, even though this action happened after the murder. So... It is a difficult case. I think that if uh, an aggressive prosecutor could have charged Wendy long ago, but it is obviously a much more difficult case because you have 
some exculpatory stuff that is puzzling, right? Nothing about her after the bump, like I said, no evidence of her pain, the, the killers. And uh, and there are some, some of the pieces of evidence that at first look like shows Wendy as guilty. She has good, good explanations for them that make overall the whole case a little bit more difficult and it's obviously a circumstantial case. There's no direct evidence, but there's a lot of smoking guns. Like, I think it was Susan that said that. Yeah, there's a lot of smoke there. There's definitely a lot of smoke there. Definitely a lot of smoke. By, by the way, uh, tomorrow night at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time, we've got um, a mentor might know him. I've never met him. John Sawicki, who uh, does forensic data analysis out of Tallahassee. Yeah. He's coming on with two other digital forensics experts. I'm a guy that knows nothing about nothing. I'm just a reporter or a journalist, but we bring on the experts and these guys are going to talk to us. I think that uh, these latest seizures of Don and Harvey's iPhones and iPad could potentially blow this case wide open. So they're going to talk to us. It's a little more like sciencey and nerdy, but I'm interested in it to see what is going on behind the scenes to try to crack these iPhones and these iPads. And that could be both Wendy's and Harvey's demise, uh, potentially Donna's too, who's not been convicted yet. Here's Ace, and that'll be at seven o'clock tomorrow night. And then of course, now with these tapes, um, trying to figure out, I think we're going to bring on some psychologists, maybe do a double show tomorrow. Uh, once uh, I'm able to go through these tapes as well and get some psychologist perspective on what was going on during these conversations from the jail between Donna and Charlie and whoever else Charlie was talking to and whoever else Donna was talking to. But from uh, Miss Bra- uh, Brazy604, for mentor lawyer, is there any truth to Tato's testimony on the stand that the lady with the kids he saw walking on Trescott was, in fact, Wendy? We always hear about this, but is this something that is confirmed, uh, mentor? No, it wasn't confirmed. I think what Tato said was that that... Fredo said that's the lady. So it could have been, you know, eyewitness testimony can be so misleading and so so wrong so often. Uh, I made mistakes. I I thought sometimes at one time that I saw somebody that I, it wasn't that person, you know. <laughs> so uh, misidentification is is very common. Obviously, this is an area where there's a lot of families, uh, moms, a mom walking with two kids would be totally normal in that area. So. There's no confirmation that it was. What I can tell you is this, that there was um, a photo, an attempt to get uh, Luis Rivera to identify Wendy. So she was shown, he was shown several photos of several ladies. Now, the set that I got does not have his signature and does not have any markings from him. So all I know is that he was shown those photos now, whether he identified Wendy or not, I do not know. But I think that from watching the last trial, it was pretty clear that likely this was a misidentification by Sigfredo. Hmm. Uh, here's another interesting question. Um, after listening to Phil Martell, Judy, this is going to be for you, the only other attorney. After listening to Phil Markell's victim impact statement, can Wendy also be legally charged with parental alienation of the Markell family? Phil made it abundantly clear that he had no contact 
um, and still doesn't really know what's going on. There's supposed to be a meeting next week, which again, I don't know if it's going to happen for Ruth. I hope it will. And for Phil and Shelly, I really hope it does. Uh, they deserve to see these grandchildren, but in any way, did she, you know, could she be incriminated for some of the things that Phil was saying in that victim impact statement to me, not knowing anything about the law, I would say, uh, doubtful, but what do you say, Judy? Mm, no, I don't, I don't think that's a crime. So James can feel free to jump in, but I don't think that's a crime to be a total jerk to your children's grandparents. <laughs> right. Florida, Florida law is very, uh, very, and I think in every state it's about the same, but it's very strong to protect the right, the parental rights, the rights of parents to make choices for their kids. So there, it's not criminal to keep your kids away from grandparents if you feel that that's in, in the best interest of your kids. However, I did previously say that I think that she should face criminal liability if she knew about the murder but was not involved for allowing somebody to murder the father of her kids because I think that that's a direct harm to those two kids for whom she has a special relationship and a special obligations as a parent. So she has the legal duty she didn't have a legal duty to Dan Markell, but she had a legal duty to the two victims, the two boys. So I think mm. that if the state of Florida wanted to, they could have charged her with child abuse or something like that. Uh, mentor, this is a question that keeps coming up since we're on this topic. If something was to happen to Wendy, she's indicted and handcuffed tomorrow, hypothetically, what would happen to these children right now? They, the state of Florida would take over the kids and would uh, find family members to um, take custody. There would be an, an emergency proceeding filed with the court, and the Department of Children and Family would be involved. And obviously, I think that the whole email from Ruth to Georgia Kaplan was about that issue, right? That they wanted, in the case of an arrest, they wanted the kids to be placed in a particular, particular uh, I think it was a Jewish. Um, yeah, there, there's a place called, called yeah. yeah, there's a place called Jaffco, uh, which is actually Ruth yeah. is going to be speaking there next week, December yeah. 20th. Uh, she's going to be talking about perspectives and trial life. It's open to the public. Tickets are available. Um, I keep tweeting it out at podcast STS and on an Instagram at surviving the survivor. December 20th, uh, Ruth's going to be joined by Dennis Murphy of Dateline NBC, who did the Dan Markell story for Dateline, and Dave Arenberg, Florida State Attorney, the current Florida State Attorney out of Palm Beach, and yours truly will be moderating that December 20th. If you're in South Florida, please contact Jafco, J-A-F-C-O, but I'll put the, here it is right here, the COE's quick. She's quick. Uh, True Lifestyles, someone's telling us yeah. it was your birthday. Um, and look, it was she, on Monday. It was a happy birthday. Uh, happy this, birthday. this is what we're talking about here. This is on December 20th. Uh, be amazing to see everybody. Ruth right there going to be the headliner, Dennis Murphy and Dave Arenberg. It's going to be interesting that she's going to be talking about trial life and we'll get perspective on how Dateline puts their shows together and how someone like Dave Arenberg decides who he's going to prosecute and who he's not going to prosecute. 
uh, right over here. Uh, this is an interesting question, Judy, to you. This comes up all the time, too. These jailhouse calls are recorded. Don By the way, we, we all told you why we got interested in justice for Dan Markell. I'm curious to hear from STS Nation if you put JMD, justice, JDM, J, I'm dyslexic, JDM, justice for Dan Markell in capital letters, and then tell us why you got interested. I'll start to read some of those comments. I'll scoot down to the bottom of the chat. But Donna, uh, Judy, has got to have known the calls would have been taped, right? Why would she divulge her plans to flee? Yeah. It seems like a trap that people either in jail or speaking to people in jail completely free. It's like a psychological experiment. They know they're told the calls are recorded, but they talk anyway. Why, Judy? Um, because she never thought rules applied to her. I think she was very arrogant and she got away with it for so many years that she was so full of herself. And both she and Charlie just loved to jabber, talk nonstop. So she couldn't help herself. You know, she seemed like she was just very wound up and couldn't help herself, I think. Uh, here we go. The COE is taking a poll. Do you think there's enough evidence to arrest and convict Wendy? The poll is uh, complete. Yes, 67%. Mixed feelings, 20%. No, 11%. That's 686 votes. Uh, so STS Nation, in the overwhelming majority, believes that Wendy uh, will be next. Uh, Tiffany H. says she lo is loving this. Uh, I love you guys. We love you back. Um, this is an interesting question here. Uh, thank you for the poll, COE. Um, we are going to drop that and bring this. We keep double tapping here, COE. Um, James, can the state use video testimony from Wendy in Donna's trial in the event that they were to arrest her before her trial? I mean, before the next trial, which is, would be Donna's. So in um, other no, words. No, no, no. So can, can they use the prior testimony? Yes. Of Wendy in future trials? No, they cannot because... Each defendant has the right to confront the witnesses against them. So uh, there are very narrow exceptions of that rule, and I don't see that happening here. So they would have to call her as a witness. Hmm. There you go. Um, let me play this sound one more time. We listen to it, and let me get uh, Katie Cool Lady, Susan, and Judy's takes. Mentor already weighed in. But this is uh, – Katie told me right before we went on air that there was this breaking news. Mentor's all over it. He's going to drop it on Deep Dive True Crime. I think we're going to try to do a show tomorrow night with some psychologists to get the psychological angle of why they would talk about it and what they're talking about and what it says about them. But here we go. I've been looking it up over and over. If things change, if there is extradition from Vietnam, because we, we've looked at all the places. I mean, I could go to Korea and China, but there's no extradition. But we're looking for places where there's no extradition. Going to play it one more time. Here we go. We've been looking it up over and over. If things change. If there is extradition from Vietnam, because we, we've looked at all the places. I mean, I could go to Korea and China, but there's no extradition. But we're looking for places. Where I mean, no Katie Cool Lady, she's spelling it out. She's looking at Korea, this place, that place, specifically for no extradition. I know you're not an attorney, Katie, but you've been in courtrooms. What? How do you read this? 
Well, the tone of her voice sounds very frantic to me. And mm. I think that Charlie was very much keeping Donna in check. You know, we know that from a lot of the calls we've heard between the two of them where he's calming her down and, and sort of um, instructing her how to behave. And I think now that she had lost Charlie, which was some sort of container for her, I think she's just all over the place and she's frantic and she's now suddenly having to do all this on her own. I find, found it interesting that she changed from we to I in that. I just thought, thought that was interesting. It, it doesn't surprise me that she's the one that's taking control of it, but at the same time, she's sort of out of control. And I, I think that's why she's just being sloppy and it's coming through on a recorded call. I think it's just a reflection of how frantic and out of control. Um, and frankly, on a personal note, I find that quite satisfying to know that she's in that much uh, panic and terror over the whole thing. I think that's exactly how she should feel. I think that gives you insight to what's going on in Harvey and Wendy's mind. And I'll get to Harvey. Uh, Lindsay's, Lindsay Shea says, love hearing the call. Stunned actually hearing it. Susan, what do you make of it, uh, listening to that? Um, I just wanted to say it was such a great birthday present, just like it was Katie's birthday on Charlie's um, conviction. And seeing Donna in shackles on Monday was the best birthday present ever. And then hearing that there's a 25-minute portion of these phone calls where they're discussing the suicide pact. And then also hearing that the day that she got to the jail, she said that she wanted to die. And now she's wondering why she's on direct observation and then seeing her give these uh, guard, the guard, the evil eye and um, Chief Mack and um, Mr. Timmy and then accusing the, the yes care professionals of not being doctors and then finding out the, uh, that day, looking at the records and seeing that she did see Dr. Sapp on the um, 28th after she talked to Daniel Rashbaum was to me like just proving that she is lying over and over again. And we cannot trust this woman. She is way worse than any of us even thought. And in fact, the day when I found out that she was on that um, nude watch, um, I had texted, I texted uh, Steve Cohen and he said, geez, Louise. <laughs> and it was just so shocking. Every single thing that everyone's uncovering is just more shocking than the next. And I just feel, I do feel like it's so disrespectful to Tallahassee and um, absolutely disrespectful to the Markells as well. These horrible faces that she's making and gasps and it's just disgusting. And honestly, I, after seeing Charlie's, um, Charlie's sentencing and hearing Phil Markell's sentiments. I mean, I cried almost the entire time hearing it. I didn't think that that much emotion would pour out. I don't know how you guys reacted, but like after all this emotion, just kind of feeling for the Markells after seeing Donna behave that way. Yeah, I'd like to pivot into that in just a moment. But you yeah. mentioned uh, Steve Cohen. I call him Meve Moen. Great guy. He's the reason we've got the best guests in true crime. Shout out to Steve. Shout out to the COE, who, as you see, gets information up uh, like lightning. Space Coast behind the scenes uh, in Los Angeles, helping us with all the technical stuff. And then we've got the best mods in all of 
the YouTube. We've got great mods. Um, I'm not going to name names because I know I'll forget some. We've got the best community. I would say best guest, better community. I'm looking at Wesley John Holmes. He is from Australia and Tokyo. Henchy Held in Jerusalem. Hey, Mona, I don't know where she lives, but she's always here. Uh, so many of you um, are here. Robin Ray, I see all the time. Lauren and McKenzie, Wildfire, Miss We Last See from Scotland. By the way, Shaquille O'Meal is the best name in YouTube. Shaquille O'Meal, one of our mods. Uh, and the list goes on, but we've got really dedicated community, best community, and uh, appreciate all you guys. And if you tell us how you got interested in Dan, I will uh, get to that. By the way, Grizzly True Crime Channel also rocks, and I've invited uh, Gisela on, but uh, she doesn't like to do public speaking. She does her own thing, and I respect that. Um, but we've talked, and she's awesome. Treasured by Tiffany, why aren't you playing the rest of the tapes? There's more available. Uh, you're going to have to go to Deep Dive True Crime uh, tonight to mentor a lawyer. He's going to dig into it, and then tomorrow we're going to try to do an extra show uh, with psychologists. So it is what we call a tease. But uh, here we go about Harvey. Um, Judy, we talked about Wendy. Do you think that there's enough on Harvey? Before you answer that, my dear mother, Carm, who was married to a soft-spoken man, my father, from day one has said Harvey's in the know, and I tend to agree with her. There's no way he didn't know what was going on. To what extent, we don't know. But do you think anything happens to Harvey, Judy? Hmm. Well, um, I did do a video a couple of months ago about why I didn't think Charlie, I'm sorry, Harvey was going to be arrested. But at this point, I'm starting to get more optimistic because I'm sure they're going to be finding some incriminating evidence on him from his phone, his iPad. Um, but again, let's ask James because he's actually in Florida. <laughs> Mentor, uh, we're going to defer to you. What's going to happen with Harvey Adelson? The guy's 80 years old. Is he going to ever uh, see the inside of a prison or a jail? Well, I mean, the state of Florida didn't arrest him. They arrested Donna, even though he was also fleeing to Vietnam. So doesn't seem likely unless there's some new evidence or evidence that we don't know about. I don't see why they wouldn't go for both of them if they were uh, planning to charge him as well. I think that the theory that they presented at this last trial was that the murder was a birthday gift for him, which would be indicative of him not being involved before the murder and maybe just being an accessory after the fact because he was involved after the bump. But if he was, if he really just first learned about all of this after the bump, then the state's not going to charge him probably. So I think that the fact that they did not arrest him when they were both look it looks like they were both fleeing to vietnam it's indicative that they're not going to be charging him uh time is going to tell on that one so obviously this was a pretty insane week on uh monday we had donna's arraignment and then literally the next day uh charlie's sentencing we go back to correct uh myself november 6 was uh charlie's uh conviction and then literally seven days later donna is arrested right here in miami thank you for the super sticker alex 999 uh first um katie cool lady you just your thoughts on watching donna in that courtroom on monday afternoon she had that kind of incredulous look um, a lot of people are making memes with a 
monkey's mouth wide open next to Donna's mouth wide open. And it's actually sort of spot on because she just had this crazy look on her face. Um, but what do you make of her um, courtroom demeanor? Donna was in the courtroom in the manner that I expected Charlie to be in the courtroom. And he was not that way. I expected Charlie to be much more active, involved, interrupting, having to be controlled, admonished from the judge, you know, the maestro. I expected him to be in that mode. And he was very subdued, I thought. I mean, he was passing a few notes to his, to Rashbaum, but not that much. Um, so Donna was, you know, acting that out in, in, in the way that I thought Charlie would. One thing that's been said by different people weighing in on this is that Donna's so frail, she's not going to make it to trial. I've said from the beginning, Donna Adelson is tough as nails and she's going to make it to her trial. And that's how she looked to me. Very active, you know, still some of that. I, I was really, frankly, glad to see that she had such a lack of a filter because to me, that kind of reflects back to that last week of her just being inappropriate and blurting things out. And I think, you know, that may provide not only more evidence to convict her, I think they already have a strong case against Donna, but, um, but perhaps Wendy and or Harvey. Mm. Uh, this is an interesting question. I'm going to toss this one to Mentor, who's in Tallahassee and knows uh, the legal system up there. Do you think they're still monitoring? We obviously know there were wiretaps between, uh, you know, Charlie and Donna, but do you think they're still monitoring Wendy and Harvey's calls? Mentor, I know you're not an FBI agent, but uh, if you had a guess, would you think that they're listening in right now? Well, you know, what they have to do is they have to go to the court and ask for permission to do that. And so the fact that there was going to be a verdict for Charlie may have been a reason to ask for wiretaps. I mean, we don't know what the investigators decided to do, but obviously they had recordings from the jail calls. And that already is some kind of monitoring because Wendy could have talked to Charlie as well. And I think about the jail calls, there may have been some complacency because for the whole time that Charlie was arrested, the jail calls were not released. I requested them and they were not releasing them. And there is case law from the state of Florida from an appellate court that says that those private jail conversations are now not a public record. So even though you get the recording that says that they're recorded and they may be monitored, there are a lot of limitations on what the state of Florida can do with those jail calls. And so they may be thought, maybe on the advice of counsel, that unless they discuss the crime on the jail calls, that nobody will get a hand on them. So maybe there was some complacency uh, about that issue because for so long they were touch, they were talking to each other and nothing came out. And even we have requested before the jail, the, the conversations between Kathy McBanua's lawyers and Sigfrida Garcia and the state was refusing and still has refused to turn those over because I think the court during the trial made them uh, seal them. So maybe they felt that nobody would get a hand on them and nobody would reveal them and that if they didn't discuss any crime, it couldn't be used against them. Uh, Norma Parrish, I'm not going to pull it up because I want to go to this comment, but she says, Wendy has blood on her hands by approving helping the plan coordinate, set up the boyfriend, Lacasse, 
oversee implementation, how she moved out of the house and kept the kids from Dan for weeks, pure evil. Uh, she forecasted the next event. So we'll see. Uh, SRA here for Katie Cool Lady. Katie Cool Lady suddenly became unconcerned with the odd juror mid-trial. Why did you? Did you find out they were an alternate? What was uh, the shift in sentiment, Katie Cool Lady? Good catch. That's exactly why. And how I found out they were an alternate is that someone local, it might have been Tim Jansen, somebody local, um, informed me that the alternates are by, or the, basically the last three jurors, 15, 14, and 13. And he was 15. So it was known he was an alternate. And, and he was also the last alternate. So they'd have to lose three jurors for him to end up on the panel. So, yeah. So he was a non-issue then at that point. Uh, Christina Anderson, Justice for Dan Markell, she got into it. She says, I was heartbroken that a truly good man was killed for no reason by people he trusted. Uh, that's a good reason to get interested because it's just not right. Uh, Susan, yeah. um, what do you think of Donna's demeanor in court earlier this week uh, and kind of her uh, uh, active incredulity? incredulity if i can say that word she you know she's going about this all wrong um this time last year charlie was in jail trying to get out of uh solitary confinement or whatever that is um code red part of the jail a direct observation um he was the first thing we heard charlie say to the to the guards was how are you adjusting in your first holiday in jail and he said I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. So he wasn't acting out. He wasn't having any incidents. He wasn't doing what Donna's doing and sneering at the guards or talking back to them, which is what I think is probably going on from what I saw in court, her giving the look to um, the yes care people and uh, officer Mac. Um, it's just so disrespectful. She's, she, you know, but Charlie was a little more cocky and didn't have his other family members tried and convicted, but I think Don is just spiraling out. And I also did a little research on Dr. Sapp, who Maricel Descoslo mispronounced her name about five different times. And it was just so irritating. <laughs> but um, anyway, but Dr. Zapp is a very accomplished psychologist who um, specializes in uh, substance abuse, which also leads me to believe that there could be more things about Donna that we don't know about her psychological state. So she's a very qualified doctor. She graduated from Georgia Southern University. She specializes in correctional observation and psychological analysis. But um, Donna's doing it all wrong. I mean, even Charlie got moved to general population of the jail around uh, December because he said all the right things to the guards. They, I mean, they're not popular people in Tallahassee, but he got on their good side and Don is not doing that. Hmm. Um, another uh, answer as to why they got interested in justice for Dan Markell from SDS nation. I live in South Florida, have a bunch of friends who went to FSU and was mesmerized by this case. I come from a similar background and the arrogance and entitlement is beyond comprehension. I have to tell you, a bunch of people have reached out to me in recent days that know uh, Wendy and Dan. Um, actually, the last few weeks, people have been reaching out, and uh, it's survivingthesurvivor at gmail.com. And I'm going to try to compile, put together a few shows 
uh, with some of these people. Not everyone wants to talk. As a matter of fact, most don't, and I understand it, and I'm not one to push people to talk. Uh, but if they're willing to do it, and it might have to be done anonymously after the COE and I uh, vet them, uh, I'm going to try to put together uh, some of these shows just to give you some kind of flavor into uh, further flavor into who, who the Adelsons are. Uh, Justice for Dan Markell from Debbie Gibby. I found it uh, searching for trials, watched Katie and Sigfredo's trial and was shocked it was hung for Katie and have been hooked since day one, trial one. So there you go. Um, the other obvious person to um, sort of critique here Judy is Charlie Adelson. He was sentenced, of course, during the conviction when he's told uh, the verdict comes back as guilty. You see his head drop. Um, seemed a little more level-headed, looked a little more gangsta at his sentencing with the, the growth of the beard. Um, that guy's life and his future, um, I don't understand it. I don't understand why he did this. He threw away a lot of great things that he had. Um what did you think of his demeanor uh, at the sentencing, him coming up and saying that he maintains his innocence, the whole package? What do you think? Yeah, it, it was pretty despicable, especially when he was like shaking his head while Phil Markell was speaking. I thought that just showed his supreme arrogance. And you see this huge contrast between the way Charlie Adelson is versus what kind of person the victim, Dan Markell, was. So it was just so sad, and I was so disgusted. Hmm. Katie Cool Lady, your reaction to seeing Charlie at his sentencing um, and sort of his uh, defiant attitude, shake, like Judy just said, as Phil was reading that victim impact statement, he was shaking his head, no, you got the wrong guy, and then he gets up and he maintains his innocence. I felt like that was a rote statement because he's just he knows that he has, you know, the only last shred of hope he has is an appeal. And so he has to maintain his innocence. And that's why he said that and didn't say anything else. I'm going to be in a minority here, but I I was watching him closely. And in fact, I was zooming in on him. And for the first time, I saw what appeared to be some sort of genuine emotion coming from him. He kept flaring his nostrils and swallowing, like that kind of combination. I want if you get Dr. G on here, please ask him about that. Yeah. Um, because I I just thought I it, now I I don't know what he's feeling or what it's about, you know. And maybe because I was so consumed with sadness, I you know was feeling my own sadness. But I, I just saw a different kind of you know, emotion coming off him that I just hadn't seen before. You know, usually he's sitting there sort of smirking and I don't know. I, I just, anyway, I, it was not like I had compassion for him or anything, but I just noticed those kind of unusual behaviors from him. And he looks, I mean, he looked terrible, you know, with mm -hmm. that scraggly beard and he, he bags under his eyes. He looked, he looked like he'd aged 10 years to me in that. And the kind of bummer to me about how subdued he was is that, it's just telling me he's not going to flip on anybody. He doesn't have the energy to do it. He's just, it looks like he's just sort of resigned to his fate. And like, uh, bye what bye. A, yeah, what a horrible fate it is. Look at this. Sadiq Farouk live from Nigeria. Uh, the other day we did an early show and I was absolutely floored uh, by the uh, amount of people from around the world here. Shout out to Dom's mom, 725 and all our West coast friends of the show. 
COE, you don't know what that last uh, comment was, do you? Um, oh, this is it. Um, to you, mentor, I pulled this up for you. And then we're going to slowly start to wrap up. Um, I want to get to a couple more things. We'll be out of here in the next five, 10 minutes. From Yala, the only thing they have on Wendy is that she's the only one who could have relayed Dan Markell's schedule. Is that enough, mentor lawyer? Uh, I disagree with the question, so, <laughs> so I'm not going to answer a hypothetical that has, uh, you know, that's not the only thing they have on, on Wendy. And that itself is, I mean, the the killer said that they were following Dan Markell. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to answer that. Uh, ben Hart, on a uh, question I bet you can answer, just wondering, is mentor lawyer from Poland, uh, detect a slight accent. James, where are you from originally? The last name Pachewski is from Poland. My grandfather was Polish, Polish Jew, and uh, left Poland and went to Argentina, mm. where because he, I think, he lost most of his family during the war. Mm. There you go. There's the answer. Um, here's another one, uh, Judy. You're the other lawyer, so you get the other legal question. Does okay. the panel think the prosecutors need Wendy for Donna's trial, which is why Wendy won't be charged yet. Is there anything to that, Judy? Well, I think so, because I had a live stream show with my college friend, Cyril Yu, who is a senior prosecutor from California. And he guessed that they did need Wendy to testify again, just to lay the whole background give out the whole motive behind this whole murder. So it would have been so much better to have Wendy talk about these things instead of just, you know, show the court file, you know, show the divorce file. So that that could be a reason why they wouldn't arrest her so soon, but there could be plenty of other reasons too. Uh, Adam Lamparello is a friend of the show. He's on in the chat a lot, and he's also an attorney. That's why you see the scales of justice with the super sticker. Back to mentor. Can't Donna argue that she didn't know of the plot until after the murder, thus making her only an accessory after the fact? But there's wiretaps and all sorts of things. But what about this strategy, uh, mentor? Yeah, she can argue anything pretty much. <laughs> and of course... <laughs> Uh, you know, the the whole theory that was, we can tell that this is a united family, that they're going with the same story, that they're using Dan Rochbaum, who used to represent Donna, to represent Charlie, because their story is the same. The story is that they're all innocent, and that Charlie was extorted, and Donna learned about it because she got on her son, about why is he going to send, you know, give all these checks to Katie. So, yeah, her argument is going to be, I'm innocent. My son was extorted. He came to me for help with his checks. And then I found out about it. And we were not involved. So I wasn't an accessory of anything. I was just helping my son deal with this extortion. Uh, Wesley John Holmes is from Australia originally in Tokyo now. Joel, did you have nightmares last night about having a shower in a state prison, given your fascination with that topic yesterday? We had a former inmate on who says, when you shower in state prison, you've got to be 
booted and suited, I think is the expression. That means you have to have, you, you have a friend sitting outside the shower who has a weapon with boots on. So nothing happens to you in the shower. Some of the scariest things I've heard, but that is Charlie's future existence is to have someone booted and suited while he's taking his 20 second shower. And uh, I asked if there's, I didn't ask this, but I should have. Is there shampoo and conditioner? But he did say there's only one little nozzle, and whatever comes out of that nozzle is what you wash yourself with, and that is it. David Gagamella from the great state. Look at that. He's got his jersey sweatshirt on. Gagamella, I want that sweatshirt. Send me that sweatshirt. Surviving the Survivor at gmail.com. I will pay, pay top dollar for that sweatshirt. Uh, since Harvey, Mentor, I got to go back to you on this one. Since Harvey is Donna's spouse, would he be legally obligated to report his wife's conspiracy? So if he wasn't involved, but he knew it was going to happen, is there a legal uh, entitlement or repercussion here? You know, you can count on David Galgamela to ask complex legal questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of stuff going on in that question, right? And you have the spousal privilege, yeah. and then you have, you know, whether on the floor of the law you can help a killer and then, of course, there are exceptions to that. And so it depends on the type of crime. So you, you may not be charged as an accessory if you help a family member if their uh, crime was something uh, not very serious. But when it comes to first-degree murder, the, the law doesn't protect family members. So I'll say the, the, any good lawyer will tell you, look, we got to look into this and do a little bit of research I know that I looked into this issue a long time ago, and my recollection is that the Florida law does not protect the family member in a first-degree murder case. Uh, obviously, you know, we started, started with justice for Dan Markell. This is all about justice for Dan Markell. We're going to end up with that. Uh, like I said, I spoke to Phil today. Um, I didn't know Phil till I was up in Tallahassee, and I met him, and he's just a great guy. I mean, and I don't know how else to say. He's just uh, like a guy's guy. Um, texts me. He's nice. He's kind. He's gentle-hearted, but he's you know devastated. Obviously, uh, he was going to try to play some golf to get his mind off of everything. But in this victim impact statement, he says, and I'm just going to run through some of the bullet points, and then we'll get some last thoughts about uh, Phil's victim impact statement and what. However, you guys want to wrap it up. But he said that Dan was my only son. Uh, back then, he said husbands were not allowed in the delivery room. It was 1971, but he was friends with the uh, OBGYN, and he let Phil into the delivery room. He said it was the most ex amazing experience. He said he would never forget that gift of life. Little did he know that it would be cut short. He said it was sheer joy he, that Dan had tremendous energy, that Dan lived life to its fullest. At one point, he even uh, got into ice skating, which was Phil's passion as a hockey player, and he was always red-faced, Dan was, because he always gave it his, his all. At 13, Dan knew he wanted to go to Harvard. It didn't just require good grades, so Dan was really active in the school paper. He ends up going to Harvard, graduating cum laude. He goes to Hebrew U. He goes to Cambridge, goes back to Harvard Law. He's got articles published in the New York Times. He becomes a fully tenured professor by the age of 41 at FSU. And then Phil transitioned and says there's many nights that he wakes up in these terrible sweats. There's not a single day where he doesn't enter into his thoughts. Um, he says in the last six years, they were only allowed two very short visits with the boys, which is just horrific. And went on and didn't 
really talk about the Adelsons till the very end, but said that Wendy was more focused on improving her public image and said that Charlie Adelson has been a major cause of the of the Markell family's heartache. And he said that we continue to suffer. He said it was appropriate to ask for a max sentence. And he ended, today is a good day. Katie, when you heard that victim impact statement, what do you think and your final thoughts on this show about justice for Dan Markell? I'm feeling what I felt when I heard him say that and um you know it just brings that loss to the forefront of this extraordinary person i mean you really hear oh victims a lot oh they lit up a room and all that kind of stuff dan markell though really truly was an extraordinary human being in in many many ways and um you know you often now you see victims trashed in in trials by defense attorneys. And, you know, nobody's even tried to do that because there's, there's really nothing to do, you know, um, with him. Yeah. Maybe he was aggressive in the divorce, but him as a human being. And I'm just feeling like it would have been somebody I would have liked to have known. I personally would have liked to have met, you know, it's just very, very sad. Um, and, and just, I've seen some comments about this, or the, you know, pe people feel like they're sort of obsessed with this case and that sort of thing. I also had correspondence with Phil um, the day that he did his impact statement, whatever day that was this week, yesterday, whatever. Um, and he does, you know, to, to echo what you say, Joel, he does it every time I've corresponded with him is so filled with gratitude for people keeping this in the limelight for keeping this alive. And that's not just us that are having YouTube channels, that's people that are caring. And as the sister of a homicide victim, it feels good to know that people care about your loved one, even if they're strangers, it feels good. So um, keep caring and keep participating. And it's very important to the family. And they, they both, he and Ruth have said that to me over and over and over again. So you're making a difference just by caring and, um, and continuing to voice your opinions and, and thoughts on this toward justice for Dan, any, any place in any way that you can keep doing it. Uh, well said, this is the actual victim impact statement, the COE, I have no idea how to get a Word document onto anything that's social media related, but she'll figure it out. And this is it. We got it from him and uh, we'll put it out there. Um, Susan Harmon, uh, you listened to the victim impact statement. You talked about it a little earlier. Uh, by the way, Catherine here, I'm going to embarrass her in a second. Mahalo. She comes to us from Maui with the wildfires. Uh, mahalo for reading that, Joel. We can't forget why we're all here. I got to say, I've said it before. I always say best guest, better community. But um, Catherine sent me something. Didn't need to. Didn't have to. Definitely didn't need to. And uh, I just got what you sent literally uh, a few hours ago, Catherine. Thank you so much. And uh, it's the best community. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to have everybody here and uh, people like uh, Catherine Regier and everyone else. Lauren McKenzie, Black Widower, the Republic of Ireland in the mm -hmm. house. She sometimes scares me because she writes in Irish. I have to translate it, have the COE translate it. And she's a tough woman. But Tiff Knox is here. All these names that I continuously see. Debbie Blair. Um, Susan, what do you think of the victim impact statement and your final thoughts today? I 
I had a similar reaction Katie had, just overwhelmed. The first time I listened to it, I was at work and I just kind of heard portions of it and I thought, I've got to listen to this later. And then at home, I just cried through the whole thing and mostly just hearing about Dan Markell as a little toddler and really humanizing him and learning to ski for the first time and holding you know, the tow rope and saying, you know, faster, daddy, faster. And just imagine he, imagining him experience life and the exhilaration of just speed skating and, and the wind through his hair just really made everyone think of like their children or their brother or sister. And it um, just was absolutely heartbreaking that um, thinking now about the Mark Hill boys and not being invited or even knowing if there's a bar mitzvah is such a huge event, huge momentous event. And it just absolutely broke my heart. And um, after meeting Phil and just seeing how grateful he is for us, and we're so grateful for him to share his sentiments and for Ruth to share them at the other trials. And Shelly as well has so many, so many great memories to share of Dan and, and just hearing that you know, Dan was like a 10 pound baby. I mean, I might have the fact wrong, but it was just so incredible to um, see what, how full of life he was. So that really just hit me hard. Mm. Uh, Larry Rubin, Judy, and all the guests, excellent guests, always have the best guests in true crime, not just a tagline. It's a reality. Judy, uh, the victim impact statement, how did it affect you and your final thoughts today? Yeah, I think all of us have met the Markell family by now. And I mean, just meeting them, you see what a wonderful person Dan Markell must have been, that he meant so much to so many people. And just hearing his father telling this story about from the point Dan was born all the way through this horrible murder, I mean, it can't help but move you to tears unless you're like a psychopath like Charlie. So um, I was sitting in my car after leaving the court and just sitting there listening on my phone and, you know, just feeling profound sadness hearing this poor father talking about how he lost his son and, you know, I hope at least Charlie, maybe Ratchbaum thought about their own children since they they are fathers also. Hmm. Uh, justice for Dan Markell here. Black Widow, remind, I'm not that dumb. Black, I'm dumb, but not that dumb, Black Widow. I know it's English in Ireland, but what, you get my, what I'm saying. The Irish English is your Irish English when you send me notes or tweet. I have to have them translated by the COE. I got to work on that. You use crazy words and expressions. Mentor lawyer, uh, again, Deep Dive True Crime tonight is going to have uh, these audio tapes. He's going to work on that. Uh, your thoughts about Charlie's victim impact statement, mentor, James, James, mentor, and your final thoughts. Sure. Um, Ruth gave us a book. Ruth has given us several interviews. We heard also from Shelley after the conviction right outside the courtroom. Um, and 
Phil has always kept the words uh, limited, didn't speak too much about the case, but you can tell, of course, that he was a great father who loved his son very much, who felt very privileged to have uh, a son who was healthy and enjoyable and and hardworking and uh, a wonderful human being. So obviously listening from a father talk about his son and the loss of his son and and how profound that loss uh, is, you know, was very powerful. And and I enjoyed meeting both uh, Ruth and Phil. And uh, it is tragic that it is under those circumstances that they have to come here for trials about a murder. No, no parent um, should go through something like this. And people choose to commit murder every day, unfortunately. But... Um, it is nice to see that so many people care. It's nice to see because it doesn't happen too often. We have murders happening every, you know, dozens of murders in every big city every year. And uh, a lot of those victims, their trials don't even get to be seen. Nobody cares. It, it's, uh, it, it is good to see that a lot of people care about this case. And, and that I think it's something that, that's the reason why Phil and Ruth are so grateful to the media because I can tell you that I've spoken to parents of victims whose case was ignored, who there was no big media filming the trial and there was only um, a camera from mental lawyer capturing the trial and broadcasting that so that other family members could see it out of state. And, um, and I think that, that having people care is just so important for the victims and their families. And I think we can see that in this case. I think that they get, they get some benefit out of the fact that people care about this, the murder of their son, brother. And I hope that we can care about more cases as well. Uh, really well said. This is one thing we didn't get to. I'm going to just ask Mentor super quick, and then we're going to wrap it. I wish Teresa said that, w- that we had remembered to talk about Donna wanting this trial to happen very quickly. I forgot to ask. You know, at the um, arraignment, uh, Judge Everett basically says, oh, so do you want to have the next meeting in February or March, Mentor? And Descalzo says, no, January. It looks like Donna obviously hates jail. She wants us to go to trial ASAP. Uh, literally within months. Obviously, the state could do that. Is it a mistake to rush that much, do you think, Mentor, for her? Um, they had a lot of time to prepare. Their strategy is probably going to be the same, right? It's going to be that the jury got it wrong, that, that my son was extorted. So they had all this evidence forever. I'm sure, I mean, Dan Rochbaum was her lawyer and maybe helping in the defense. So I think that they can get ready fast. All right. Well, we are going to see how that plays out. Uh, just a quick reminder of uh, who everyone is. James Wisniewski, if I said that even close to correctly. Uh, deep Dive True Crime. You got Katie Cool Lady. It says it all. Uh, Judy Tsang with Asian American Legal Focus and Susan Harmon, True Lifestyles. Please support their channels. 5 p.m. tomorrow a full analysis of John Donna and Charlie's recordings with Dr. G explains. He's awesome. He's going to come on. It looks like me moan was working during the show. 
and more of your favorite STS guests. So two shows tomorrow, five o'clock on these uh, newly released tapes. We'll get the psychologist's perspective. And then 7 p.m. on digital forensics. There are several recordings with Donna and Charlie just released today. Deep Dive, True Crime, Mentor, Lawyer. We'll share, we'll share the recordings tonight between 8 and 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks to our panel. Thanks to SDS Nation. Remember, it's all about justice for Dan Markell. Love you, America. Love you, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Until next time. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.